Old powers waken, shadows stir. An age of wonder and terror will soon be upon us. An age for gods and heroes. The glass candles are burning, and you're listening to the Obsidian Knights Podcast. Hello, my sweet summer children. I'm back with the juice to get you through the long night. And today I'm back with another episode of the Obsidian Nights podcast, where we go through A Song of Ice and Fire chapter by chapter, trying to reveal all the clues, all the foreshadowing, all the hidden tea. If you are listening to this podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts, please rate this podcast. Let me know how I'm doing. And today we will be covering John 7 and I have special guests. My special guest is Ara. Hey Ara, would you like to tell the people who you are and where they can find you? They probably know you by now, but tell them all the tea. Yeah, just in case you do not know me by now. My name is Ara, aka I Eat Zebra. You can find me Friday nights on Direwolf City. 10 p.m. on Gray Area's YouTube channel. If you haven't checked it out, please come see us on Friday nights where we're talking all things wins. I also am launching my YouTube channel, which is also I Eat Zebra because I'm not creative. So that's where you can find me on all platforms. And my first video that I'm uploading, it's sorting the characters of Snowfall. So I hope you guys enjoy. Yes, Snowfall. I heard it's really good. I have not watched it yet. I'm going to be watching it and then I'm going to be checking out your video because I want to know um, the sortings of the characters. Yeah, so actually with um, the video that I'm posting, I'm not doing any major spoilers. Oh, cool. Just for that reason, because I know not everybody has seen Snowfall. So it's kind of just an overview of some of the main characters and their traits and personalities without getting too much into their backstory. So for those who haven't seen the show, maybe get them a little bit more interested. I highly recommend it if you have not watched Snowfall. It is phenomenal. Probably like some of the best TV I've seen in a long time. So I've heard really, it. really, really, really good things about it. It's on FX, just in case you want to know. <laughs> yep, so check out Snowfall. Check out ours channel at I Eat Zebra, And you can also find her on Twitter at I Eat Zebra. And today we're going to be talking about Jon Snow. And this chapter is full of juice, like straight up. I can't even lie. We got whites. We got people coming back from the dead. John getting some crazy news. John saving lives out here. Like it is getting like we're, I'm, we're to the point of the book. And matter of fact, like fun fact, we're almost through a Game of Thrones. But this chapter, I feel like it's really starting to go down. I don't think there's any chapters from this point on that aren't packed with action. Like I know there's been some chapters where it's kind of dry and now it's not that especially not this chapter. So this chapter starts out, it says, Othor announced Sir Jeremy Riker, beyond a doubt, 
and this one is Jaffer Flowers. He turned the corpse over with his foot, and the dead white face stared up at the overcast sky with blue, blue eyes. They were Ben Stark's men, both of them. My uncle's men? John thought numbly. He remembered how he pleaded to ride with them. Gods, I was such a green boy. If he had taken me, it might be me lying here. Jaffer's right wrist ended in the ruin of torn flesh and splintered bone left by ghost jaws. His right hand was floating in a jar of vinegar back in the Maester Amon's towers. His left hand, still at the end of his arm, was as black as his cloak. Benjen, earlier in the book, went out for arranging to try to find Sir Waymore Royce. And now Benjen's missing and two of his men are dead. And it was Ghost that found these corpses. So he brought the hand to John in the last John chapter. So uh, there's so much going on when it comes to the, these whites. Because they're going to come back as whites. They're not just dead men. It's only two. Only two. We only have two bodies. And we know that Benjamin Stark took six people with him. But we only have two bodies. And these bodies are close to the wall. Like where they find these bodies, they find them pretty close to the wall. Yeah, I believe it's a half a day's ride to the wall because they found them figure where they're going to take their vows in the grove where the heart trees are in the haunted forest. Such a clever name, George. Yes. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> when you think about it, when, well, we get to it a little bit later, it's like, how did they arrive here? It's kind of like the big question for the John and the rest of the Night's Watchmen that are finding these bodies. It's like, these these are our men that have been missing for about six months. So it's been half a year that they've been gone. And how are we just now finding them this close to the wall? Mm, yes. And yes. when, like, for me personally, like, this chapter shows how great of a horror writer that. George's as well as like the descriptions like rereading it I started gagging at points like <laughs> some of his descriptions it really puts you into the scene and it's just like like just the way he describes like the eyes like I can see that haunting blue eye like in my mind yeah and it's it really sends like shivers down your spine and Ooh, so good. <laughs> In the last chapter I did with Simone Black, um, we talked about how George was so fucking good at horror and how the last chapter and this chapter, like they could have been a short story. Like they could have been a short horror story. Those two, like these two chapters together. And this one is like the way that he describes like just the ominous feeling in the air like the horses hating it the dogs like going crazy like it says the dogs liked it least of all ghosts had led the party here the pack of hounds had been useless when bass the kennel master had tried to get them to take the scent from the severed hand they had gone wild yowling and barking fighting to get away even now, they were snarling and whimpering by turns, pulling at their leashes while Chet cursed them for curs. It is only a wood, John told himself, and they're only dead men. He had seen dead men before. So he's thinking, like, John's like, this is only the woods. Like, why are you guys tripping? And this is only 
like dead people. Why are you tripping? But it's more than that. It's more than that. That's not just why they're tripping. Yeah, and it's also very telling how he says ghost is the one that brought them to the scene. Yeah. And that ghost is the only animal that will go near them. And in my opinion, and I'm going to mention it now because I want to get out the way, it's Blood Raven. It's all Blood Raven. Blood Raven does everything. He controls everything. But yeah, no, <laughs> I'm mad creepy. I'm like, it's all Blood Raven. Blood Raven is in Ghost. Yeah, I think that's Blood Raven literally in Ghost leading them because obviously he wants to assist them in the, you know, the War for the Dawn that's inevitably coming their way. So yeah. So for him to, for Ghost to be the one to not only find the hand but when it's time to go back ghost is the one that's leading the way and ghost is like the only animal that's not even just animal he's kind of the first one to just be close to the body to kind of be like hey guys look this isn't right like (laughs) the others are coming (laughs) yeah i mean it's like i'm not gonna say like yeah i think it's blood raven i think it very well could be blood raven but i definitely think that there is some supernatural Thing going on with Ghost because Ghost leads John to the Dragon Glass as well. Like um, Ghost is always one step ahead. So there's either it there is either someone interfering, like a Blood Raven, some child of the forest, someone is doing something, or it's just something magical that some kind of, or it's just like Ghost himself, like kind of like how Drogon knows. When Danny's in trouble, like oh, when, when, pit. yeah, like that makes sense. I feel I like, like to think it's Blood Raven just because I, I like, I that. mean, it's way more interesting <laughs> that it's Blood Raven, it is. And not only that, I recently reread Duncan Egg, and now I'm like, yeah, I know it is all Blood Raven, <laughs> yeah. Duncan Egg does so much for Blood Raven's character, like, not even kidding, it really does. I'm like, I, he's one of my favorites, to be quite honest. and I also think he has something to do with Mormont's um, Raven a little bit later on in the chapter, but we'll oh, get to that. <laughs> I definitely think that's Blood Raven, Mor- Mormont's Raven. So John says, last night he had dreamt the Winterfell dream again. He was wandering the empty castle, searching for his father, descending into the crypts. Only this time, the dream had gone further than before. In the dark, he'd heard the scrape of stone on stone. When he turned, he saw that the vaults were opening, one after the other. As the dead kings came stumbling from their cold black graves, John had woken in pitch dark, his heart hammering. Even when Ghost leapt up on the bed to nuzzle at his face, he could not shake his deep sense of terror. He dared not go back to sleep. Instead, he had climbed the wall and walked restless until he saw the light of dawn off to the east. It was only a dream. I am a brother of the Night's Watch now, not a frightened boy. What do you think are the implications of that dream? Because I have several thoughts. Oh my gosh, I was so, I'm was i so ready for this paragraph. But um, <laughs> one thing I thought was, um, that jumped out at me, just hearing it again, is the fact that John, Rickon, and Bran, whenever there's major like crisis moments with Ned, they all have dreams of the crypts. Yes. Like something in their dream draws them to the crypt. Like when Bran and Rickon have the same dream, when we find out Ned dies, mm-hmm. like, well, I should say we, when they find out Ned dies, 
like they both had like, oh, father was in the crypt. And it's like, how do you know that? And then for John to have this dream and uh, well, we're about to talk about it anyways, but when he eventually finds out like, oh, Ned's been arrested for treason, the king is dead. What I think is interesting is one of the first things he hears is the king is dead and he just had a dream about dead kings coming back mm-hmm. and crawling out of their graves. And I'm like, and you're about to like, deal with like the undead at the same time i'm like oh there's so much going on <laughs> <laughs> yeah so i i kind of felt that same thing like yeah rick got and brand and john like ned is in trouble and john is having this dream where he's looking for ned of all places in the crypts and ned is like never gonna leave that dungeon again and when he does he's gonna die spoiler alert (laughs) but um another thing that kind of like made my eyebrows raise up a little bit was the fact that the dead are like he hears the scrape on stone stone on stone and these vaults are opening and the dead kings are coming out of their cold black graves and I feel like that is some significance to this specific chapter because these white, these men are going to rise up out of their graves. They're going to rise as whites. And I also think that it's significant to Winterfell that John doesn't necessarily know is that that ritual, that stark burial ritual with the the statues and the, the iron swords, I feel like there is something to that. Like I feel like the iron swords really keep the white the whites or the corpses from rising. Because Ned says in a beginning chapter, like the reason that the iron swords are laid on the laps is to keep the spirits in the grave so they can't wander the castle. Like he he talks about one of the swords being rusted away and he was like, Oh, I hope that spirit isn't free to roam the castle. So I feel like there is a lot of significance there. And I feel like it's not a coincidence that he had this dream. If he had this dream, he was sent this dream. Yes. I could definitely see him being sent the dream as a way of them kind of communicating to him through the like, where would that as a we like to call it, <laughs> give them these yes. premonitions. But I do think the iron swords definitely will, um, are meant maybe to keep the um, spirits at bay because possibly a curse that was placed on them. Mm-hmm. Like the dead kings of winter, kind of like the dead man of Dunharo. Yes. From Lord of the Rings. Like maybe like there's some type of oath that they need to keep. Like maybe not that on the nose but something kind of like the iron swords are part of that like a ritual like you mentioned like to keep them at bay but yes. one thing I wanted to mention with that description with the um the stone on stone and the coming out of the vaults mm-hmm. and once you read it I because I obviously looking back at the chapter when kind of going forward a little bit when Othar comes back John says that was when he heard it the soft scrape of a boot on stone specific Mm. like just stone coming back and the fact that earlier he's talking about in his dream that he heard stone on stone so like i feel like george is very tactical with what words he uses and when he uses them so i feel like that was foreshadowing for pretty much the events that happen later in this chapter of the dead rising out of the their vault that they were kept in 
Yeah, and it basically points to some supernatural person or thing trying to help John, trying to lead John with this dream. We got that thing from Melisandre that sleep is a little death. Dreams are whispers from the others or from the great other. But what Melisandre thinks is the great other is actually Bloodraven. Oh, I know. It makes me like really intrigued as to their relationship. <laughs> yes. So it could there. it could be Bloodraven trying to tell John, like, these motherfuckers are gonna come back. <laughs> they're they're not they're they're not dead. <laughs> so Samuel Tarley is there and he's like really scared like he's hiding behind horses like he doesn't want to look and john is like look there's a dozen rangers here there's dogs like even ghosts is here like nobody's gonna hurt you you can look and he does um actually look but he's still fucking scared sam and john telling him to look mm -hmm. um uh, on not a cast, they kind of brought up how the parallel with that scene in Bran in the opening chapter when John's telling Bran, like, you have to look when Ned's going to execute the deserter and the fact that both situations revolve around soon to be and or already dead Brothers of the Night's Watch is very interesting. Oh, that and is both interesting. situations are related to the others because the reason why I always mix it up because in the show, it's one of them. In the book, it's the other one between Garrett and Will. Mm -hmm. Whichever one it is <laughs> in the books. That's not the show because the show did the opposite. It's Garrett in the books. That's what I thought. Okay, Garrett in the book. <laughs> but when Garrett, you know, he's saying, he's like, you know, the others are back, kind of like warning them, like, you know, like, that's why I ran. And John, and I remember, I think Bran's the one who's like, oh, do you guys believe him? And they're like, I don't know. That's like an old man tale. So for John, you know, six months later, maybe seven months tops for this to like, I imagine he's probably thinking of that moment as well. Like, oh man, that dude was right. My dad kind of killed the guy that was right. <laughs> that's, a, that's actually a really good point. Um, Lord Mormont is like, like, why didn't they blow the horn? Like they have a horn and we would have heard it from here why didn't they blow the horn? And they're like, they're kind of like bickering back and forth, trying to figure out like what actually happened. Like what actually went wrong? Like they're talking about not having enough horses to like not having enough mounts to actually the wall, like, like they want to. Um, it's, it's comes off to me as bickering. as like actually bickering. what I really like about it is I hate when I have like a supervisor or a manager tell me why I didn't do something. And it's like, I was listening to you. So when Sir Jeremy Riker, like, <laughs> he's like, we have stayed closer to the wall that we, we were wont to do before by your own command. I love that. Cause it's like, I was just doing what you told me to do. So why are you yelling at me for following mm -hmm. your orders? I like that moment. <laughs> like, yeah, I, like I mean, that. That, that is true. But at the same time, it's like, I, I get the situation on both ends. It's like, how did we miss this? So they're all kind of like confused. And then our boy Sam coming through, being the maester's eyes. And right. So they don't know. know. They don't know like what happened, right? 
they're like the wildlings could have done it the wildlings have axes and they're like do you think it was mance raider like and they're like this close to the wall who else could it be and then um john says john could have told the john could have told him he knew they all knew yet none yet no man of them would say the words the others are only a story a tale to make children shiver if they ever lived at all they are gone 8000 years even the thought made him feel foolish he was a man a man grown now a black brother of the night's watch not the boy who'd once sat at old nan's feet with bran and rob and arya yet lord commander mormont gave a snort if Ben Stark had come under wildling attack, a half a day's ride from Castle Black, he would have returned for more men, chased the killers through all seven hells, and brought me back their heads. Unless he was slain as well, Sir Jeremy insisted. But, okay, so they're debating. John thinks it's the others already, but he feels silly saying it. And John believes that they think it's the others as well. And I feel like Lord Mormont and Maester Aemon are kind of like in that Tyrion chapter where Tyrion is at the wall and they're talking to Tyrion about needing more men at the wall. They kind of feel, have the feeling that. Yeah. The others are rising. Yeah. And when the, but when they're looking at it in the face, in the face, yeah. they just. One thing I think is really, really interesting just because, you know, I cannot resist a good Sansa slander, <laughs> but the fact that he said the people sitting at Old Man's feet were Bran, Rob, and Arya. Rickon gets a pass because he's three, but I think it's interesting because including John, I think they have, all of them have more common sense than Sansa because they listened to all the scary Old Nan stories while she was listening to all the frilly knights and Pretty yes. stuff that Septa <laughs> Mordain was teaching her. Shout yeah. out to old Nan. <laughs> I mean, because that's where I would be sitting because old Nan knows everything. I think you're right. I think that's true. <laughs> yeah. I would be sitting with old Nan too. Sansa was knitting, knitting and listening to knights and lady fair shit. Yeah. And I'm like, wait, we get to learn about like the others. Let's go. But I think it's really interesting that you said, um, well, kind of like the between him going through what Mr. Lewin told him versus what old Nan told him. Mm -hmm. And that kind of being the situation that's happening at hand where it's like they're the rest of them are thinking more like Mr. Lewin, like, no, that, that doesn't exist. It's that's not it. It can't be it. Where John, Mormont, and maybe a few others are probably, I think, more seasoned nights watch members are probably leaning towards that old Nan supernatural like. No, no, this is this is what we think it is. Like it, it, it's time. Like they're they're here. This is what the ball was built for. This is what we we're meant to do. So the mm -hmm. time has come. And like when Mormon says, like we really needed a strong king for this. Like it's very very ominous. Like just the scene that George is saying. Just like the deeper and deeper you get into like this part of the chapter, I feel like that feeling of the other like that weight of the inevitable comes back because we haven't had it in quite a while yeah that's a good way of putting it because it is and we're getting to see it unfold like we're getting we're getting to see it unfold we're gonna we're getting to see the doubters 
try to talk their self out of the reality of the situation. And Sam comes in, like you said, with the tea. Sam is like, you know, they can't have been dead for a day. What'd he say? He said, my lords, it, it, it can't be a day or look, look, the blood Yes, Mormont growled impatiently. Blood, what of it? He soils his small clothes at the sight of it, Chet shouted out, and the rangers laughed. Sam mopped at the sweat on his brow. You you can see where ghost John's direwolf, you can see where he tore off the man's hand, and yet the stump hasn't bled. Look, he waved a hand. My father, Lord Randall, he he made me watch him dress animals sometimes when after <laughs> Sam's like all scared and shit. And oh, he's, he's basically Yeah, he's basically oh, like a, a fresh kill, the blood would still flow, my lords. Later, later it would be clotted like a jelly thick and and <laughs> he looked <laughs> as though he was gonna be sick. This man, look at his wrist, it's all crusty, dry like. And then John's like, yeah. And then they're like, you know, if they've been dead, if they'd been dead much longer than a day, they'd be right by now, boy. They don't even smell. And it's like, aha, why don't they smell? And Sam is like, they aren't rotting. They aren't rotting. There's no maggots. There's no worms. There's nothing. The animals won't touch them. They've been completely undisturbed. And it's like, fresh meat this north in a woods going like being there that long without being touched like that's very alarming right and only go it's only ghost that will touch them it's only ghost that isn't afraid of them also i don't like chet just throwing that out there but like um. (laughs) girl who does i'd like to beat his ass myself um he he ends up getting what's coming to him so yeah He's going to bite it. (laughs) (laughs) But one thing I really like about this moment is Sam actually like showing how smart and useful he is, kind of proving John's point when a few chapters back when he's talking to Maester Aim and like, you know, just because he's not like a fighter or something doesn't mean he can't be useful here. Right. He can read, he can write, like he's very smart. Like, trust me, we need men like him. And if it weren't for Sam, I think Mormont probably still would have looked into it. But I think the rest of them would not have caught on as fast if it was not for Sam. Yeah, they wouldn't have. Like, Sam's making very good points. And he is proven John right. Like, you're right about that. He's proven John right. Like, John was smart by choosing Sam to help Maester Eamon. Sam's like, look, these wounds are bad. There should be blood everywhere. And then they say... It might be I'm a fool, but I don't know that Othor ever had blue eyes. And then Sir Jeremy looks startled and says, neither did flowers. And they both stare at the dead men. It says, a silence fell over the wood. For a moment, all they heard was Sam's heavy breathing and the wet sound of Dywin sucking on his teeth. John squatted beside Ghost. Burn them, someone whispered. One of the rangers, John could not have said who. Yes, burn them, a second voice urged. So that silence that fell over the wood, they know what these are. They know. Yeah, that's why they said to burn. And that's why they immediately were like, burn them. 
Yeah, and I think it's interesting because we still don't know who said it. Nope. And at, yeah, and at first I was like, maybe then the fact that Mormont acknowledged it, I was like, okay, maybe not. Because like, oh, Blood Raven, but no. Um, false alarm. But I think it's very interesting that they know what to do. Mm -hmm. So it's like, how many times before John got here have the others been encountered recently? Right. Because I'm like, uh, is it common knowledge? Like, I, I don't think we know if it's common knowledge to that burning them is effective. Because yeah. clearly John, who grew up in the North, raised in the North, grew up on old man's tales. Like he, well, we'll get to it at the end of the chapter. He starts hacking at it, eventually burning it, but... Well, I'll get to when he burns it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not like, too ahead of myself. So Mormont doesn't want to burn the bodies. He's like, you know, not yet. I want Maester Eamon to look at them. When We'll bring them back to the wall. So it says, so when they were going back to the wall, it says the day was gray, damp, and overcast. The sort of day that made you wish for rain. No wind stirred the wood. The air hung humid and heavy, and John's clothes clung to his skin. It was warm, too warm. The wall was weeping copiously, had been weeping for days, and sometimes John even imagined it was shrinking. So I want to talk about that. So I feel like it's interesting that in this chapter where we're getting actual whites being brought back to the wall. John sees the wall as weeping and shrinking. And I don't want to say like shrinking in a physical sense, but shrinking as in, I don't know how to put Maybe it. Maybe losing some of its power, like protection. Um, Not even, I mean, that too, but more like, the closer the White Walkers get, like, the White Walkers are close as fuck to the wall at this point. And it's like, the as closer they get figuratively, the wall gets smaller. Like, uh, be getting close. Do you think that Ulther and um, Jafer, do you think the, how do you think they got there? I think they were trying to run back to the wall. Like, oh, so like, you really do think they were killed in that spot? Yeah. Do so you think the others are really that close? Yeah. I think they were trying Ooh. to run back to the wall. Because I think, like, the others can only come out at night. Mm. So I wouldn't be surprised if they killed them right there. And that was the spot that they found them, too. Like, I feel like... because so, so we have Garrett. Like, the first time we see the others kill people, they kill way more Royce. And then Waymore Royce as a white kills Will, but Garrett manages to run back and get south of the wall. So I feel like Jay for Flowers, we're trying to run back to the wall is my opinion. What do you think? Oh, so that's personally, I think that's more kind of my opinion as well, that <laughs> they were trying to escape. And the thing I'm thinking of is if they were being sent as a message just because what happens later on in the chapter, the fact that it seems like he knows who his target is. So yes. Like, are they purposely being sent to infiltrate, get through the wall and like, pretty much put a hit? Like, is this like the others, the white bears, like 
hierarchy, if they even have a hierarchy, whatever their little unit is, are they putting a hit out on Lord Commander Mormont because that would weaken the Night's Watch? And as we do see, you know, that lack of leadership, especially experienced leadership like the old bear, it weakens the watch overall and yes. it makes it a ripe time to hit it. Yes, I think you are 100% right. I do think it was like a thought out hit. Like they left those bodies there and they animated those corpses for a reason right there with a target. And I want to talk about that target when we get to that part. Because oh, I need to say with the wall weeping too, my dad. Oh yeah, go ahead. With the um, I think it's interesting that they bring out how warm it is because later on John mentions how cold he is, and it's like, well, it, like it. That's kind of I think when the horror starts setting back in because we kind of have like a little political sidestep before we mm -hmm. get back into what's happening with the others, and the fact that John like right as I that story is about to pick up a little bit more that what's going on down in King's Landing when we get that news for John. Well, from John's perspective, mm -hmm. the fact that he noticeably says it's warm outside. Yeah. So then when we get introduced back into the others for him to say he was freezing, mm -hmm. like, well, how did it go from being hot enough for the wall to be weeping to feel like it's like, in his opinion, like shrinking a bit because it's that hot to uh, like just being that cold overnight. Yeah. So the others must be close. Yes. They must be close. So when John is like on his way back to the wall, he recalls old Nan's tales about the others. And he says, cold and dead they were, and they hated iron and fire and the touch of the sun and every living creature with hot blood in its veins. Hold fast in cities and kingdoms of men all fell before them as they moved south on pale dead horses, leading hosts of the slain. They fed their dead servants on the flesh of human children. Ugh. So he's got old man, old man's uh, stories coming back. And Lord Commander says, you're fat, but you're not stupid boy to Sam. I felt that was like <laughs> shady. <laughs> like, okay. Like, first of all, you don't have to go off on him like that. That was nice of you to say he's not stupid, but why'd you have to call him fat? Right. Like, uh, thanks, I guess. <laughs> right. So they get to they get to the wall, they get back, Bo and Marsh. Let's I can't fucking stand Bo and Marsh. Like Oh, fuck Bo and Marsh. I'm oh sorry, I'm not sure if I'm supposed to say You that. can say whatever you <laughs> <Okay>. feel. <laughs> I don't like Bo and Marsh. All my hate homies hate Bo and Marsh. But um <laughs> I was going to say, actually, before we get to that, that whole, that old Nan quote, something just stuck out to me. They, so they didn't know about the fire. So go back on my point of the thing I asked earlier, if it was common knowledge. Oh, yeah. Well, it is common knowledge, fire. answered my own question. But I think it's interesting that, is that they hated iron and fire. And John had a dream of the dead kings coming out. And they're known to have iron blades. Yes. So I'm like. And obviously they're using steel swords, mm -hmm. not iron swords. So I'm like, hmm, is there something a little bit more to that? I think there is. I think there is because that's the second time we hear about them hating iron. Because yeah, Owen says it too. Yeah, and they use Brand. Yeah, and they use steel right now. Yes. So it's like, 
so is it possible that like iron, like raw iron swords, fire, and then Valyrian steel and dragon glass? Like maybe there's like another secret weapon out there that they didn't know of, or a recipe, like some or as of- a recipe, yeah, yeah. That, I mean, that's really interesting. I I know a lot of people don't really look into the iron that much, but I think iron is probably the key because we we like focus on Valerian steel, but we don't know what Valerian steel is made of. Maybe Valerian steel is light because it's made of iron. What is iron heavier than steel or lighter? Um, to be honest, I am not sure. Me either. I mean, I don't think Valerian steel is just iron. But I, I feel like it's like a lot of magical properties to it as well. Alloy steels where a lot of other metals are added as alloying elements, steel would be heavier than iron. However, usually it's the density that kind of determines which one yeah. is heavier. Yeah. Well, maybe there's something about iron that we need to look into further. Maybe I need to do some research. <laughs> yeah, because it gets mentioned a lot of the times when dealing with like things from like the um, age of heroes, I've noticed mm-hmm. like obviously because it's an outdated form of like metal to be used in Christian weapon. Yeah. So when they get back to Castle Black, Bowen Marsh is like, there's a raven. You got to come now. And Pip, I think it's Pip is like the king's dead. And John's just like, what? Like, what do you mean? And like, they they had just overheard it. And they're like, John, I'm sorry. He was your father's friend, wasn't he? They were closest brothers once. John wondered if Joffrey would keep his father as the king's hand. It did not seem likely. That might mean Lord Eddard would return to Winterfell and his sisters as well. He might even be allowed to visit them with Lord Mormont's permission. It would be good to see Arya's grin again and to talk with his father. I will ask him about my mother, he resolved. I am a man now. It is past time he told me. Even if she was a whore, I don't care. I want to know. That is so sad. That's... I want to know something interesting, too. The show gave that line to Ned. Minus the whore part. Yes. But the, you're a man now. It's past time. I told you, like, next time I see you, I'll talk to you. In episode two. Of yeah. Game of Thrones. Yep. I totally overlooked that. And I was like, wait a minute. Oh, Ned says that in the show. Yep. I was like, that was a nice touch for them to kind of like add in a little bit of mystery with John's parenting, that end of things. But I think with it being placed here as well, right after he's talking about Rob being dead. And it's like, well, Robert killed your daddy. Really? Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. Honest about it. But it's sad because it's like, John has these hopes like, wait, Joffrey's probably going to send my dad home. This might not be such a bad thing. And it's like, ah, John, I have some news for you. <laughs> yeah. So Ooh. John goes up to Sir Mormont's tower. And when he gets in, the raven's there. Like, corn. Corn, corn, corn. And uh, the mm, Lord Commander Mormont is like, no, like, I just gave him corn. Don't don't listen to him. Like, I just fed him, which I know we both think that the raven <laughs> is more than just a raven. But they basically um, 
He's like, pour, pour me some wine, pour you some too, because you're going to need this. And they tell, uh, well, first he's like, you know, sit down, drink. And John is like, it's my father, isn't it? And he said, your father and the king. I won't lie to you. It's grievous news. I never thought to see another king, not at my age, with Robert half my years and strong as a bull. They say the king loved to hunt. The things we love destroy us every time, lad. Remember that. My son loved that young wife of his. Vain woman. If not for her, he would never have thought to sell those poachers. My lord, I don't understand what happened to my father. I told you to sit. Sit, the raven screamed. Like, okay. So they're going to, he's basically going to tell John that Ned has been imprisoned and is charged with treason. Um, it is said he plotted with Robert's brothers to deny the throne to Prince Joffrey. And John is like, hell no, you know, that could never be my father. Um, and John is like, how could they think my father's a traitor? Like he would never dishonor himself. But then like he gets this small voice in his head, but he did have a bastard. And he's thinking about him. And he's like, your mother, what of her? He would not speak her name. Where is the honor in that? And it's like, it's sad because first of all, if John had got this news before he took his vows, I wonder if he would have stayed at the wall. Like, I don't think so. I oh, think he, he would have went, went back straight to back to Winterfell. Yeah. It went right back. I thought what you're saying now that you um just like listening to it again, but it's the fact that this RLJ foreshadowing in this chat, especially mm -hmm. in like what you just read to me, with the fact that they're talking about Robert's death, they're talking about succession, kind of right to rule, and the fact that John's inner monologue is like, well, maybe my father is dishonorable because he's me and. You know, what about my mom? We won't talk about mom. It's like him questioning his parentage all while like same yes. discussion. It's like, John, it should be you. <laughs> George is so fucking brilliant. Like he's so fucking brilliant with that shit. And it's like, the point of it is, is that Ned is honorable. Exactly. He didn't have a bastard. Yeah. And Joffrey's the actual bastard. Well, we, jury's out on, I'm not sure if they actually were married, but Joffrey is like an actual bastard. Like, and Eddard was in without well within his rights. He just didn't go about it the smart way. Mm -hmm. But, you know, had he done it, it's kind of makes you wonder what would have happened with the story going forward. Yeah. It's, uh, it's so sad. <laughs> like, That's true. And they talk about what was interesting that they really didn't, I don't think they covered this in the show is that Lord Mormont actually sends a letter back, like asking, you know, like Ned is a, is a great Lord. Like he, he sh must be allowed to take the black and join us here. And oh. he's like, we need men of Lord Eddard's ability. And with that being said, the fact that going off of like the letter that he wrote, is that him saying, I really wish Tyrion was there to advocate on our behalf because, you know, if he was sending this letter with Tyrion being there, the odds would have been greater. Yeah. 
possibly, even if, um, what was his name? If Tywin was even there, I'm pretty positive Tywin would have sent Ned to the wall. If, t- yeah, if pretty Tywin if, or Tyrion, if anybody was there. <laughs> if anybody would, uh, even if Jamie was there, I think he might have been able to handle it. But I personally think it was Littlefinger that got in Joffrey's ear about killing Ned. Mm-hmm. Because even before that, when Sansa pleaded for mercy, Cersei also said the same thing. Like, yeah, no, we should send it to the wall. That's so much Joffrey's like, oh, give me his head. His mom's like, whoa, 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 whoa. I not know. What are you doing? What are you doing? Relax. Pump your brakes, kid. <laughs> Let's not do that. And John kind of like kind of indicates that that too, that he doesn't even have that faith that his dad will make it to the wall. Cause he kind of says he's like Joffrey's personality. He's like, I don't even like John knows like, yeah, his dad's kind of done for on the inside. Yeah. John had him figured out. Like John had Joffrey figured out like from the gate. Another interesting thing. And I can't ever pass up the chance to like pass on cat shade. Oh yes. Like, <laughs> your lady mother. That's what I meant to bring up. Cause he's like the, the Tyrion thing. Yes. Yes. With the Tyrion thing. Um, he says, so the old bear is like, it was a bad thing. Your lady mother taking him captive. And John's like, Lady Stark is not my mother. Tyrion Lannister had been a friend to him. If Lord Eddard was, was killed, she would be as much to blame as the queen. That's John's inner monologue. Oh, I know. And I'm like, I'm right there with you, buddy. <laughs> Me too. And he asks about his sisters, Arya and Sansa. They were with my father. Do you know? And he's like, you know, Pycelle makes no mention of them. But doubtless they'll be treated gently. Lies. <laughs> oh, lies, lies. on lies. <laughs> but yeah, oh, I love the cat trade. But I totally agree with John's inner monologue because John says it and Lord Mormont both say, like, you know, they consider Tyrion a friend. Mm-hmm. They don't consider him to be an enemy because they can they, in my opinion, have that better judge of character where they can like see like okay he definitely has better intentions yeah than they the rest know of his family but cat the fact that she listened to little of all people like yeah no and it's like and as she goes along we like as you covered in previous chapters cat had kind of like seen that she was in the wrong yeah even before they got to the veil she's like off oh. I messed up here, but it's like, ah, oh, it's kind of too late to turn back now. Exactly. She, but at the same time, I'm kind of like, no, it's not. You didn't even go up the mountain yet. You could still turn around. It's like, you know what? Actually, let's just forget this whole thing happened. That's that pride. About it. It's that you, pride. You got a point, and yeah, you can go home. Just, uh, I'm just going to go back. All right, see you later, pal. Like, <laughs> that's what I would have did, because I'd have been like, you know what? I don't have that much pride, because I'd be like, I don't want to be embarrassed, and I'm about to be wild embarrassed by the time yeah. I get to the veil. <laughs> and, and then it's like, you brought him here all this way, even though you knew before you even got up the mountain Yes, he didn't do it. Like, girl, if you don't go send him along his way and go bring your butt back home and take care of your children... <laughs> exactly exactly oh, anyways i love a good cat drag um <laughs> <laughs> right so mormont says this could not have happened at a worse time if ever the realm needed a strong king there are dark days and cold nights ahead i feel it in my bones and then he looks at john and he says i hope you're not thinking of doing anything stupid boy 
And John's like wanting to say like, that's my motherfucking dad. What are you talking about? And he's like, you know, your duty is here now. Like your duty is here. Your old life ended when you took the black and his bird made a raucous echo black and Mormont took notice. Whatever they do in King's Landing is none of our concern. When John did not answer, the old man finished his wine and said, you're free to go. I'll have no further need of you today. On the morrow, you can help me write that letter. And the, the bird saying black, I wonder why uh, Mormont took notice of it. Like what made him take notice of the bird saying black? Is that not a word that he said often or ever? That's what I'm wondering, but him saying sit, does he sit, say sit often? I would imagine he'd say black before he said sit, since, you know, that's where black, black brothers, I feel like it's a yeah. word he probably hears often. So I thought that, yeah, maybe I took him by surprise, like, hmm, that's a new one. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think the bird, if like, let's say the bird is Blood Raven, the bird is basically saying, well, we need you here at the wall. Like, fuck what's yeah. going on there. Black, stay here. Black. <laughs> yes. Yeah, like, it doesn't matter who sits on that iron throne, honestly, buddy. Like, we need you. Like, you, you got to be here. And it's interesting that Mormont kind of already starts that, planting that seed in John's head that, like, hey, all that's Southern politics, that it does not matter. You You see what we're about to be up against, like, that's why he's kind of like, please don't do anything stupid. <laughs> yes. But at the same time, we have to remind ourselves that John's what, like 15, maybe 16, just found out, you know, like a horrible he news. He doesn't know horrible news, like his dad's being accused of being a traitor. Um, and more than likely he's gonna be executed. Just he he knows that. He knows that within himself. Mm-hmm. He doesn't want to admit it at this point, but he kind of already hinted at it. He and, has no idea what's up with Arya and Sansa. Yeah. Because more so about Arya than Sansa, but anyways. Yeah, he's so thinking it. about that. Like, he says the girls do not even have that much. He thought Neither their is. wolves might have kept them safe, but Lady is dead and Nymeria is lost. They're all alone. Yeah, so he's just, like, really going through it and, well, we're about to get to what happens next, but so emotionally, like, just um, being a teenager, you got all those hormones you know, your whole frontal cortex isn't fully developed yet. So your logic and reasoning skills are not there. So, you know, he's just a passionate teenager that just like is hearing this and then off, mind you, this is happening immediately after seeing the horrors he just saw above the wall. Right. So this is like back to back. This is like a really traumatizing couple hours for John when you think about it. I mean, and actually. Then first, Stupid ass, Sir Alistair. Oh. I can't stand that <laughs> bitch, that fucking asshole. Like him and Bowen Marsh. I want to yes! write a burn book, like entry about them because I don't like them. <laughs> so Gran and Pip and Sam, like they're all like kind of rallying towards John's side. Like we 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 asked the Septon to light a candle for your father. Like, if you want, we can go to the Weirwoods and pray to the old gods. I'll go with you. And then here comes Alistair Thorne. Basically says, not only a bastard, but a traitor's bastard. And they're, like, all laughing and shit. 
It says, in the blink of an eye, John had vaulted onto the table, dagger in his hand. Pip made grab for him, but he wrenched his leg away and then was sprinting down the table and kicking the bowl from Sir Alistair's hand. Stu went flying everywhere, spattering the brothers. Thorn recoiled. People were shouting, but John did not hear them. He lunged at Sir Alistair's face with the dagger, slashing at those cold onyx eyes. But Sam threw himself between them, and before John could get around him, Pip was on his back, clinging like a monkey, and Gren was grabbing his arm while Toad wrenched the knife from his fingers. I wish John would have sliced his fucking face off. Me too, if only. One thing I want to say before we even get to stupid Sir Alistair is John has such great friends. Yes! they really like showed him love and support they're like you know like we're here for you and in my head sam and john are boyfriends so he's like baby i love you and we can go pray to the godswood if you want like don't do this i love you john we all need friends like that like we all need need everyone needs friends like pip gren and sam yes and everybody does oh and toad and toad don't forget toad but yeah, no, I really do wish he got at least maybe like slice his face, at, like physically slice his face. I don't even think he actually made contact. Yeah, he didn't. I oh. think Sam, Sam stopped it just in time. Um, oh, I guess what a good boyfriend, but still like yeah. a little nick, like a little nick under the eye. Just, just let him go up. just a little bit, Sam. Come a little on. blood. A little blood doesn't hurt anybody. <laughs> so, um. They walk him to his sleeping cell and uh, Lord Mormont's like, you know, boy, I told you not to do nothing stupid. And the the bird's like, boy. (laughs) And (laughs) Mormont is like, you know, he's disgusted with John at this point. And he's like, and to think I had high hopes for you. Like, shut up. Like, bro, he's 15. He's processing some major trauma right now. So they actually... They take John's knife, they take his sword, and they're like, you can't leave this cell. And they place a guard outside his door to make certain that he wouldn't leave the cell. And his friends weren't allowed to see him. And um, they did let him have ghosts with him, so he wasn't all alone. And John's like all in the dark telling, talking to ghosts. He's like, my father is no traitor. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and ghost just kind of like stares at him like mm, okay okay bro honestly I think the only reason they let him keep ghost because they're like uh i mean are y'all gonna put him somewhere because i'm not going near it <laughs> right but it says like you were saying it grew darker and colder and john's like you know i don't i'm not gonna sleep tonight and he dozed off but when he woke up his legs were cramped and stiff And Ghost was standing at the door on his hind legs, like scratching at the door. And John's kind of like, Ghost, like, what the fuck is that? And he's like looking at him and he has like the silent snarl. And John's like, John thinks like Ghost has gone crazy. And then John feels it. He's like trembling shaking cold he's like when had it gotten so cold and we know that Tormund says like when the others are around 
it's so cold that you can't breathe. They bring the cold. They bring the cold. He's dead, right? The guard yes. gets killed. Yeah, the way he describes it too is like, he's like the guard, he thought, they left the man to guard my door, go smells him through the door, that's all it is. And then as John slowly gets up to his feet, he, he's like, his guard was sprawled bonelessly across the narrow steps looking up at him, looking mm -hmm. up at him, even though he was lying on his stomach, his head had been twisted completely around. Ooh. So let's just tack on the trauma, tack yeah, on the it's trauma. Let's add a little bit of trauma seasoning to Sean's day. <laughs> boneless. And they say bonelessly. So he must have been twisted really, like sprawled bonelessly. He must have been twisted really fucking bad. Yeah. And like, just, I couldn't imagine. I'm assuming, even though he doesn't name the guard, he knows who it is. So just mm -hmm. like dogs bugging out. And he's like looking like, oh, you're like, what? relax. And it's like, it's not that serious. It's the guard. And then he's like, oh, no, it is that serious. <laughs> Mm -hmm. and like, oh, and so john is kind of like you know like this is the lord commander's tower like this fucking tower is guarded night and day like there's no way anybody like this couldn't really happen like this this can't happen and but john winds up like taking the sword from the sheath of the guard and like ghost kinds of runs up the up the steps towards the Lord Commander's chambers. And like they hear the raven like shrieking for corn. Then he saw it, a shadow in the shadows, sliding toward the inner door that led to Mormont's sleeping cell. A man shaped all in black, cloak and hooded, but beneath the hood, its eyes shone with icy blue radiance. Ghost leapt. Man and wolf went down together with neither scream nor snarl, rolling, smashing into a chair, knocking over a table laden with papers. Mormont's raving was flapping overhead, screaming, corn, corn, corn. John felt as a blind as a maester Amen. Keeping the wall to his back, he slid through the window and the curtain and moonlight flooded the solar. He glimpsed black he glimpsed black hands buried in white fur, swollen dark fingers tightening around his direwolf's throat. Ghost was twisting and snapping, legs flailing in the air, but he could not break free. John had no time to be afraid. He threw himself forward, shouting, bringing down the longsword with all his weight behind it. Steel sheared through sleeve, skin, and bone, and yet the sound was wrong somehow. The smell that engulfed him was so queer and cold, he almost gagged. He saw arm and hand on the floor, black fingers wriggling in a pool of moonlight. Ghost wrenched free of the other hand and crept away, red tongue lolling from his mouth. Honey, don't that Ooh. sound disgusting? <laughs> yes. Oh, my gosh. We were talking about it. Like, oh, yeah. the descriptions that John like John, the descriptions that George uses, honestly, he kind of looks like Kit Harrington, like a young Kit Harrington when yes. he has his glasses on. That's totally irrelevant to the scene. But <laughs> I wanted to think of something cute because the scene is so gross. It is gross, but, but that way, black like, fingers, fingers wriggling. Oh my gosh. And his mouth though, I'm like, bleh. like that's so disgusting. Like, yeah. And what gets me like why did it take Mormont so loud to like long to wake up? Like they said, ghost knocked over like a table. They were bumping into a bunch of stuff. Yes. You got a bird screaming. I'm pretty sure John was probably like 
like ah, like or something before like to hype him up before he like actually lunged at him and i'm like bro you still ain't waking up yet like like yes. um, sir i need backup like mormont i need backup out here please <laughs> like go john is like going to war like john and ghost are in his fucking chambers going to war with an other or i mean not another of white and he's just sleeping through that shit like and the not even so ghosts not even are you hearing all this rumbling and fumbling the raven is freaking out yeah so it's like there's so much noise going on how are you sleeping through this <laughs> yes. and and the, another thing I realized, Othor is like the really big one too, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like going back to my new conspiracy theory that they were like sending out a hit. They're like, yeah, let's get the really big guy because he's going to be really like, because that obviously like dead weight is mm-hmm. really heavy. Mm-hmm. And then put that on somebody that's a lot bigger of a person. It's going to be even harder to kind of fight back. Yeah. And we see that with John and Ghost, like they both needed each other because without the the other, they one of them would have died or both. Yeah, like they saved each other, and I think that's so cute. I'm like, oh, I love I love this connection. <laughs> Me too. A man so, and his dog. <laughs> so Lord Mormont finally awakens, and he's naked and groggy, and like standing in the doorway with an oil lamp in his hand, and John like tries to like yell at him but like he can't and like he's staggering around and the raven is saying burn 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 unprompted he's not mocking anybody he's saying that on his own and that's how john realizes to burn them through the raven so somebody is in that bird Yes, and again, I think it's Blood Raven. Not only that, they always describe that bird as being really old mm-hmm. and large. Like it's like they don't know how old it is. They know they don't mention how old that bird is, which I think is very interesting. Yeah, and not only that, most of the other birds all live in the rookery. Why is this the one bird that just kind of hangs out with like the Lord Commander? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is definitely Blood Raven. I 100% agree that the crow is Blood Raven. Oh, like, actually, facts. I was gonna say, when um the last line of the last lines of this chapter to me are so haunting. When John's like, "Let it burn," he prayed as the cloth smothered the corpse. God's please, please let it burn. That <laughs> to leave on that type of cliffhanger is so like menacing because you're like oh my god do, do they make it out do, are they okay did it burn like even though <laughs> if you were paying attention throughout the chapter that it was meant the fact of burning them this is like, i think the third time yeah that it's been mentioned like the fire needs to destroy this um reanimated dead person Orps. white i don't know why i forgot the word white <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And, it, oh, go ahead. Oh, gosh. No, I was just going to say it's this chapter is so good. <laughs> it's, it is so good. But like that line, like it is a big cliffhanger. But also, also think of it as John being a Targaryen 
and saying, let it burn, he prayed. Corpse, uh, let it burn, he prayed as the cloth smothered the corpse. Gods, please, please let it burn. I <coughs> feel like that is dragon foreshadowing <laughs> that John is going to be atop a dragon burning some whites. Ooh, I like that. And also speaking of the Targaryens, I hate that the show convoluted this theory that people think, oh, well, you have to be fireproof to be a Targaryen. Oh, God. And John here, when he like, he grab, he literally grabs an, a burning drape and throws it. His hands get burned and it's, it affects him throughout the entire series, like these burns on yeah. his hands. Like he constantly mentions about that same hand like stiffening up at times and like mm -hmm. having to make sure he's like kind of flexing the muscles to keep it like you know yeah. like still functioning properly and look how like the circumstances around it like the fact that for me personally whenever he mentions the hands throbbing it kind of always subtly brings me back to this chapter yeah it does like it always like i feel like it would find it's george's way of kind of slowly like without explicitly like bringing the others in if you have been like kind of like paying attention to the clues, it's like, okay, yeah, let's not forget the others. Let's not forget the others. They're still the big threat. He's so that. good at that though. Like he's he really so is. good at that because if it was reverse, would it even still be the same story? Would it even be so loved as it is where the others were in the forefront and everything else was in the back? Would it still, no, I, don't think I don't think it would be the same. No, it wouldn't have the same like weight to it. Yeah. Not at all. But this is a very, very, very good chapter. And we went through a lot in this chapter. Was there anything you wanted to add? Um, I just wanted to bring up the fact that um, Mormont kind of shaded his son a little bit. Oh, <laughs> about um, the, the, the vanity? Yeah, because I think that, um, do you think that Jorah and John are actually going to meet eventually? And have like a discussion over like the rights to Longclaw at some point. Yeah. I do think they'll meet. Um, I think they'll meet. I don't know if they'll discuss the rights of Longclaw. Okay. But I do think that they'll meet. Now, I would like them to discuss the rights of Longclaw. But like I, I had heard this theory that John was going to get Blackfire. And I'm like, no. John Longclaw is John's sword. Yeah. Like, and do we even know what happened to Blackfire? Like it's over in Essos. They think oh, that, they yeah. think that Illyrio is given Illyrio has it and he's given it to Fagon. Oh, I could see that. And then John's gonna somehow get it. But I feel like Longclaw is John's sword. Yeah, I think Longclaw is his sword. And one thing I think is interesting since Blood Raven's been brought up multiple times is the fact that dark sister is hanging out there with Bran. Yeah. And obviously Bran's not going to wield it. So it makes me wonder, is it possible, say Illyrio does give like Blackfire to um, Fagon, if Danny somehow becomes in possession of dark sister and we kind of have like, rather than two girls, one guy for the three heads of the dragon, possibly two boys, one girl. Because mm -hmm. even with Fagon not being Rhaegar's son, which I don't think he is, I do, I subscribe to the Blackfire conspiracy. It still makes him a Targaryen. Black or red, it's still a dragon. Black or red, a dragon is still a dragon. I would like, 
I just can't see Danny being like a sword fighter. <laughs> oh, I can't either. But I think it'd just be cool, just like just to just have her wield it, like it, like on like dragon back. Just like mm-hmm. I can just see her, just like in like a badass suit of armor or something on Drogon, but like a like the vintage like Valyrian saddles that they used to have wielding darks is like i just want that third danny <laughs> I, I, I mean want her girl, to be like same <laughs> like all like aegon like and his sisters come again but all in just her all in just her Whether i honestly but i honestly it. think that aria is gonna get dark sister i could see that that was my other option because she has more training and she's brand's dark sister yeah, and then in the show they gave her the um, cat's paw dagger. Yeah. I think in place of it. Mm-hmm. Even though I feel like they still could have brought Dark Sister into the story. It was it, in their. It, it was right there in their hand. It was in their damn hand when it. Yeah. They just didn't do it. I know. And they never brought Dawn in. Like that's one thing about a Song of Ice and Fire is there are some badass swords, and we don't see them. But we're gonna see them in House of the Dragon. Like we're going oh, to see Blackfire and Dark Sister, and hopefully with all these spinoff like, shows. I need a blood. I, I need something with Blood Raven in it. I don't yes. even think it, it doesn't even have to be Duncan Egg. It's just something with Blood Raven in it. The Blackfire Rebellions, like the first yes. Blackfire Rebellion. Oh, that's I the one it. I want. I need that. I need Damon. I need Bittersteel. I need Shira. I need all the great bastards. All of them. Uh, Damon and everyone thank you for listening do not forget to check out Ara's channel um, I Eat Zebra on YouTube and check her out on Twitter at I Eat Zebra links will be in the description box and as always it's been a pleasure thank you for coming on and we will see you guys next week or actually we'll see you Friday bye bye